Eva, I'm so excited for this episode. It is so personal for me. I met this amazing doctor through our work here at the podcast. She's been on it before, which you'll hear. Um, but personally, she changed my life. And you'll hear how she changed mine, how she's changing others, um, how she is so thoughtful in everything that she says. I can't wait for you guys to listen to Dr. Sharma. Dr. Sharma, welcome back to Stick a Fork in on It. I am so excited to have you with us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So you were on our show before. We're going to provide the link in the notes on all of the places where you can listen to Stick a Fork in It. Um, but this is like you joining us personally, even though you're part of TGH. We're going to get to know you a little bit better. And I'm super excited that you're going to visit us every once in a while because we know food is medicine. Right. Absolutely. And we want to make sure folks understand every aspect of that. Um, and I love your approach. So uh, we'll get to that. But let's talk about you a little bit. Sure. Where did you grow up? So I was um, born and raised in Toronto, Canada. Um, very vibrant, multicultural city. Um, loved it. Love my childhood and upbringing. My mom is one of six. My dad's one of seven. They all, um, yeah, so big, huge family and extended family. And they all migrated from India and Kenya actually to Canada. So all of my parents' siblings live there. So my upbringing was full of lots of family and being around cousins and extended family and grandparents on both sides. That's amazing. So when did you head south from Toronto? So I lived there for until high school. And then my dad, he's, um, he's a CPA and accountant and um, kind of an entrepreneur, big entrepreneur and wanted to extend his business and services. And he was looking in the States. And so we actually moved to Toledo, Ohio out of all places, which was um, a cultural shock coming from Toronto. It's very, very, very different. And we chose that place because my the only family that we had in the States at that time lived there. And it was only four hours driving distance past the Windsor border to Toronto. So my sister and I were like, okay, if we're going to move to the States and this is a, a, a family move, we'd rather be where family is and driving distance so we could come and visit. Um, so I did undergrad in, um, in Ohio and then um, moved around after for, for med school and, and residency. Where did you go to med school? So I went to med school at Ross University. It's in the Caribbean. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. And I did two years. Uh, so the way it works is that you do your two years of your um, kind of the study work and the, the textbook. And the last two years, you do your clinical rotations in the States. So when I got back, I did rotations um, mostly in the Northeast Coast and some in the Midwest. Got you, got you. So... Leading up to that, leading up to choosing the medical field, um, you know, having such an amazing, wonderful, huge, supportive family, who was your greatest influence that you think brought you to the path where you are now? So I think that it comes from, so I actually don't come from a family of physicians or anyone in medicine. It's mostly actually education, teaching, and business. So in terms of the medical part of it, um, 
you know, being of Indian descent, your Indian parents always encourage you to become professionals and medicine is one of the professions that they kind of encourage medicine and engineering and, you know, the stereotypical. So my dad kind of put the initial buzz in my ear, but when we went to visit India, when I was younger, I was just really struck by the poverty um, and the health disparity and the infrastructure. Um, and so that kind of spoke to me and I knew I wanted to do something with general medicine and primary care and prevention. And I really enjoyed those bigger kind of broader aspects of medicine. Um, the influence wise outside of medicine in terms of the integrative path, I think probably my mother and my grandfather, I grew up in a really spiritual um, kind of wellness family. And um, being Indian, you know, we love food. Their Indian cuisine is so delicious and the herbs and the spices. So we were always surrounded by big spreads of food. And I'm one of five. So my mom, um, she's a magician in the kitchen. She can just cook and whip up meals for our whole family and extended family pretty quickly. And I was just sur I was surrounded by that love and community and everything that food brings brings to you. Um, and just being from an Indian descent, we and our family in particular, our medicine cabinet, we never really had your typical Tylenol or ibuprofen or your typical you know pharmaceuticals. Um, whenever we had a cold or an ache or a pain, we you know treated it with teas or herbs or spices or just different um, healthy you know things in the kitchen. And later on, years later, when I pursued integrative medicine and I actually learned the science behind it, I remember calling my mom often and be like, oh, mom, there's actually a benefit for fennel with IBS and your, and your gut health. Oh, mom, actually, ginger is a GI motility agent and it's going to be used for constipation. So, you know, the reasonings behind and the scientific backing. Um, and she's like, yeah, I know. I was like, you pretty much practice integrative Ayurvedic medicine without, you know, realizing right. it. Um, and so it was just nice that it was, you know, very full circle moment for me. And um, so I think my mom and, you know, my grandfather, he was very, very, he is very religious and spiritual. He's actually visiting us right now. Um, he's 96 years old and we got together during Christmas and um, this is the first year that he'll be without my grandmother. My grandmother passed away earlier last year. And so we were, and Toronto's so cold. So we were like, should we bring him here? My mom, my parents have a little place here. And so we were all kind of on the fence because he's 96 and he doesn't have medical insurance here. And, you know, it's a risk. But we decided, you know, if this is the time to do it, this is the time to do it. And so he's actually here visiting us and doing pretty well. Um, uses a cane, but he is a big meditator and he will sit and meditate for hours and hours a day, every day, all day, for as long as I've known him. Whenever we went to our grandparents' house, he'd just be on the couch. He doesn't say much, but when he does talk, he gives us lectures and um, does guided imagery and meditates with us. But the rest of the time, he's on the couch meditating for, I'd say, no kidding, eight to 12 hours a day. Um, so cool. we grew, yeah, so we grew up um, in the summers going to Montreal um, for yoga camps and ashrams. So we visited ashrams all around Canada and there's one in the Bahamas um, that we went to. And so that was my summers doing yoga camps and ashrams and, um, you know, soup kitchens and, and things like that. So he's been really influential in my family and, and for me. 
That's amazing. Well, we will have to um, have him. Maybe we can bring him to Trinity Cafe so he can see how we serve around the table and come visit us before he heads back. Yes. I would love for him to see that um, level of service. If you've experienced soup kitchens and volunteered with that, to see like a three course meal be served by a volunteer host and guest and all of those things. I think he would really love to see that. Oh, we would, he would love that. And that, you know, that concept in, in Sanskrit and Hindi is called seva and seva means doing ch charity and serving. And, um, when you go into the research and meditation and what makes people happy and content, um, most people get a sense of contentment and happiness when they're serving and doing seva. And so he would love that. That's why volunteering is so important. It not only helps your neighbors, but it kind of, I always say it soothes my soul. Like it grounds you. Uh, you meet people you would have never met before. You have a, maybe a better, ever since I've been in hunger relief, it'll be eight years now. Um, I just understand so many things differently. So cultures, di it like opened my eyes all based sure. on a meal around the table, which was really interesting to me. I'm so grateful for it. Definitely, because food is our universal language, right? It can bring anybody from diverse backgrounds together. So we always, this is a typical, we have a few questions that we always ask our guests. And, and one, because, you know, we really believe so many magical things happen around a table, whether it's a round of meal, whether it's like this, um, our virtual table um, for the podcast. Um, do you have, from a growing up standpoint, um, you mentioned so many great things that you did in the summer. Do you have a memory um, that really touches you, that comes to mind so very quickly that has to do with gathering around a table together? Sure. Um, I think, you know, two two things. One, um, growing up, my mom... Um, she was known to be like the best cook in, in, in the family and um, family would come over all the time. So when my cousins, the ones that lived in Ohio would come for the summer and visit, um, they were just so excited because we had the, I'm one of five. So we were like the zoo or the family house or the loudest house, had the best food, had all the things and the best snacks. And so when they would come for the summer, they were just ecstatic for our dinners because my mom would have these extravagant spreads. And, um, you know, we'd start early because she just kind of set everything up at like four or five and we just graze kind of from afternoon, from late evening onwards. Um, but just the joy that it brought like my cousins and my siblings and all of us together. Um, that is a vivid memory in my mind. Um, family. Yeah. Family, community, eating. Yeah. Together. And What's your favorite thing that your mom cooks? I'm so interested now. Mm -hmm. Next next time you join us, we need some recipes to share. Yes. Um, oh, my God. So many things. <laughs> I think there's it's there. It's an it's an Indian dish. Um, and it's um, it's not quite the healthiest. But one of the things that she makes is it's a potato. It's a potato curry stew. And it comes with um a type of bread, but it's slightly fried on the outside. And it's more of a brunchy type of um, food. It's called aluburi. Um, really, really fantastic. Um, but she cooks. Yum. Yeah, she cooks a lot. My dad, so Indians are really um, 
obsessed with tea and their chai and their tea time. And um, because of the British influence, so we, you know, they have their morning tea and their afternoon tea and some will have their late tea. Um, so they've adopted that British lifestyle. And so my dad actually makes the best chai hands down and um, he grades the ginger and in the morning, wow. he get crushes the cardamom, crushes it, adds cinnamon, adds black pepper, lets it boil. And so my parents, I'm blessed to have their support. When I was on maternity leave, they they came by and helped um, helped with us and the baby that first six weeks. It's in our tradition that the parents come and stay with their daughter and their baby for the first six weeks. And so my dad's role in the whole equation was to make the tea. And tea. so every morning we would wake up to him crushing the ginger and the cardamom. And that was our, our alarm. And then we'd come down and smell the scent of the tea. Um, and so when he was here, my husband got obsessed with it. And he's like, I need to learn this recipe. And he recorded <laughs> him and he wrote it down and he perfected it. And so now um, it can make pretty good tea too. <laughs> that's amazing. It's almost in that, you know, that's a real critical time the first time you're becoming a mom and to have that support. But I'm just envisioning you waking up to that. That's something that you've done your whole life. What a comfort that just that aroma was to you yeah. to and know that they're there for you. Um, yeah. That's wonderful that your culture supports that. Um, yeah. I think it's so important, such an important time. Yeah. So tell us about you have your own little family. You mentioned a little bit um, with having the baby. Tell us about your your own family that you have. Yeah. So it's um, myself, my husband, Amit, and Anaya. She's just turned two and a half. Um, love being a mom. She's a sweet little fun girl. Um, talks a lot. We have similar birthdays. So she's June 28th. I'm June 22nd. And um, the light of the light of our life, she just loves singing, is very musical. You'll just catch her in a corner just singing or humming, or she's just a very vocal, sweet little girl. Even when she was teeny, teeny, tiny um, and first started eating, she was just a very vocal person and just, just mm, 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 grunt like from the beginning. My mom's like, she's very noisy. I'm like, I know I don't need any of the nanites or the fancy cameras or the um, monitors because I can hear her across the house. <laughs> My husband is um, from born and raised in Tampa. So not very common, not, not many people that are born and raised near. And we met. Yeah. Oh, you are. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Very cool. So yeah, he grew up in Carrollwood, um, was here all of his life and then went to med school in Miami and did his residency in Chicago. So we actually met in Chicago during our training. And on our first day, he said, I'm just throwing this out there. Um, I'm planning to move back to Tampa after I just want you to know. I'm like, this is too much for a first day. Like, let's get to know each other before you write. Um, but here we are. So, um, yeah, he knew. I know. And I love it. It took me a little while to get used to. I've always been in a very, you know, diverse metropolitan melting pot of cities with a lot of culture and cuisines and um and so when I moved to Tampa eight years ago now, I struggled a little bit with the food scene and the culture. And it's a it's a different beast. I never imagined myself living in Florida or Tampa by any means. Um, but I do love it. I do love it now. It took about two years. And I think for my line of work and the weather and 
um, the things that offer it, it, I find myself being feeling very balanced here and it's allowing me to do all of the things that I preach and I, my philosophies. And so I think it's a good place to settle down and do what I'm doing, but I struggled a little bit when I moved here. Well, our restaurant scene is catching up a little bit. It is. I agree. (laughs) <laughs> better and better. It seems every day we've got some great um, choices and kind of cultural nods, you know, all popping up all over the place. So that I love because I know what you're talking about because I would go on vacation and yeah. I'm sure Ev, you've experienced this too. You go on vacation and they have all this wonderful, wonderful diversity. And, and instead of, cha- not that there's anything wrong with chain restaurants, they have a purpose, but if you want the, you know, those smaller restaurants with all that wonderful introduction to different foods yes. is amazing. I enjoy that as well. I agree. I feel like the last two years, it's really uh, blown up a lot. And I like that menus are starting to have like a vegan menu or eventually like Olivia has a vegan menu, which is really nice. We went to over the holidays. Um, we took family to Predalina from Toronto and Chicago. And I was like, I hope they like the food because the food's so, and they loved it. And there was a lot of veggie options. And so, yeah, it was, it was, was, so it has improved. I agree. What is your favorite restaurant? My favorite restaurant. um, I think Olivia's up there. Um, I like Bayshore Mediterranean. It's um, have you guys been there? I have not, but I love Mediterranean food. I love the seasoning of it. Yes. Um, it's delicious. It's one of my favorites. It's um, by McDill. It's like South South Tampa by McDill. Really, really great. Um, where else do I go? Where are my go-tos? True Food Kitchen for, you know, um, mm-hmm. not True Food Kitchen's great. I like Sweet Green for salads and things on the go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like for sit down, it's probably... Olivia and Predalina was great and it was up there too. Okay, wonderful. That sounds, and then, so you you just mentioned just briefly your philosophy. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, I know you were on the podcast before and you kind of explained um, integrated medicine in general, but help us understand integrated medicine, your philosophy, your approach, I have to come clean with everybody. You've been my doctor from the first time that I met you. Um, and we'll talk about that more. But tell us about the integrated medicine approach. Sure. So integrative medicine is a field where we kind of look at the entire person and the whole picture. So we look at aspects from, you know, in utero, what, you know, the pregnancy was like to, to their lifestyle, to the social component, to their upbringing, to what their poop looks like, kind of the entire picture. And it offers a non, initially a non-pharmacological, safe, natural approach that incorporates um, everything that's evidence-based, but different practices from the Eastern and Western practices were kind of from all over the world and the alternative practices. It doesn't have anything against conventional medicine that we work side and side by convention with conventional medicine Mm -hmm. and regular um, medicine and integrated medicine practitioners um, are MD trained. So they go through the typical medical school route and then get additional training. And so it's just a different approach in terms of looking at the whole person, mind, body, spirit, and offering initially more safe, natural regimens to help treat chronic diseases than first rushing to pharmaceuticals. 
So I'm going to ask you about a few examples real quickly. I'll use myself as one. Sure. So just we met and I was probably on 12 medications um, that, you know, were prescribing things that were going on with me. One medication for headaches I was on for 20 years. And working together with all of how you look at the mind, body, spirit, the whole thing, all the questions, you know, I have to share with you guys that when I go in with Dr. Sharma, we sit for almost an hour and she asked me all of the questions from lifestyle to walking. And, but the long story short is I'm down to one medication and another. Sometimes um, we've we whittled it down to vitamins that work best with me. Um, I always had a terrible time with my stomach. I don't have that anymore. That's one of the the testers, right? To know if some, if I can tolerate something because normally now my stomach doesn't hurt me at all. So, I mean, I'm a huge fan, not only of Dr. Sharma, but the integrated medicine approach. Um, so Dr. Sharma, do you have any stories that you can share um, beyond what my experience was um, in your work today? Yeah, absolutely. And I can share, um, I can even write these up and share these with you after if you want to post them. But um, I had a elderly patient a few years ago, um, she had really, really elevated cholesterol. Um, and looking at the calculation where she stood, we have a, we have a calculation to say if somebody should be on a statin medication or not. So looking at guidelines and everything, she definitely met indications for starting uh, statin medication. And so we had this conversation. Um, we talked about her diet and her exercise and lifestyle, and there were definitely areas that she could improve. And she asked me, she said, can you give me three to four months to really, you know, work on these um, lifestyle components before um, we start? And I said, absolutely. I think there's way there's room for improvement. And if you can stick to these, let's see, and let's, let's reassess in three months. So I'll read you her numbers. So I gave her, so first I'll, I'll tell you what we decided. So we went through a diet and we have to be realistic with people, but she um, was Italian she was from um, Italy. And so she followed, she liked the Mediterranean diet. And so we use that as her base. And so we, um, there's a diet called the anti-inflammatory diet, which has a lot of components of the Mediterranean diet. And so I asked her to kind of adopt that and really focus on whole food plant-based and gave some tips and she was diligent. So these were her numbers before. So her cholesterol was 401. So normal cholesterol, we wanted under 200. So it was double. And her LDL bad cholesterol was um, 310. And normal, we want less than 100. So really, really high. This is not somebody that I would, yeah, that I would say, okay, come back and see me in a year. I was like, we have to see each other in three months and make, make a plan. Right. And so in three months, she got her labs done at the three month mark. And she did nothing else but the anti-inflammatory whole food plant-based diet and exercise. And she brought her cholesterol down from 401 to 178 and her LDL from 310 to 94. And wow. the, I was shocked. I wasn't shocked. I was, I was shocked because it was the most significant 
decrease I've ever seen. I asked her if I could share this with, you know, anyone and everyone. And she said, absolutely. And I was so impressed with her that she was diligent and she did it and we could avoid the statin and that's what she really wanted to do. But that much of a jump in such a short amount of time just really confirmed that, you know, food is not like medicine. Food is medicine, truly. And with her, with just making those changes, and I'm sure it was a little, you know, a little challenging initially, she was able to avoid a pharmaceutical that she would probably have to take for the rest of her life and potentially avoided having a heart attack or a stroke later in life. Um, so I've asked her permission to share this, her numbers, and I've used it in talks and I have her labs printed out because it was, it was so remarkable. And I've had a few similar since then, but nothing as, you know, as significantly decreased as that. So that's it. it. Proving this works, which is amazing. Proving this works. No other, not even supplement. We were going to talk about other supplements, but she, it was just with food alone. Yeah, it was incredible. I imagine she probably felt pretty different on a daily basis too. Yes, yes, definitely. With the energy. Yeah, with the integrative um, approach, and I tell all patients this, that really need to, um, that we really make changes in, in various aspects of their life from their diet and sleep and exercise. I said, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of work and it's going to be on you. And I'm here to guide and support you. And it'll be initially a struggle, but I promise you usually, and I see this time at the six month mark, which is a while it's a commitment, but around that six month mark, I get the emails and I get the, my trap messages and I get the responses. Oh my God, I feel so great. And their labs improve, their skin improves, their gut health improves. And because you're making real changes within their energy improves, your libido improves, all these aspects, your sleep improves. And so it's really rewarding for me to see. Um, and not everyone can stick to it. I have patients that come that just say, I want a quick fix and I want to feel better now. And I want the medication. And that's why we have, you know, that's why we have pharma school and there's, there's a place for them. But if you really want to make true change and really want to be healthy within, um, it takes time, but you feel much better. And the results are long last longer and you don't have the side effects from the medications right the side effects for me were just so difficult because i remember i came to you because i was really afraid of my memory um and it ended up just being on so many medications that were kind of stifling me altogether you know you mentioned that she went on a diet but i i want to kind of support another approach that you have is changing your diet um so for me you know helping with you know um for instance, I still eat meat, but we talked about that portion control. And for me, dairy isn't my friend. So if I'm putting creamer in my coffee, it needs to be plant-based, you know, so you have worked with me, um, adjusting, which I think has been really so easy, um, for me because I do see the changes, you know, and how I feel and how I sleep and knowing that I don't have to keep up with 12 medications, you know, I just have the one that, Um, is something that can't be changed with diet because it's something with my body. But um, I'm going to say for me, it wasn't it. it, it, And it's always a journey, um, but it's really not difficult for me because you're watching these incredible outcomes um, and learning along the way. And I, 
um, before there's some things from our nutrition education team that I they've submitted some questions to us and they're really important to us at Feeding Tampa Bay and I know you too. But I just want to bounce into you also have other opportunities, not only to make appointments and come with you um, and, and see you as their, your primary care physician, but you have outside opportunities to help teach us how to live better. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. There's a lot of wonderful things that um, we're doing at TGH and um, Tampa Well and with the help of integrative medicine as well. We have have a community garden and um, a food pharmacy at our Hillsborough Avenue clinic. And so we've just started this program. You get the way the process works that you get a referral from your PCP um, based on food insecurity questions. And if you um, meet the criteria, you get access to fresh produce from our food pharmacy and you can pick it up once a month. And we're expanding the program to offer nutrition classes and some education, but it's a beautiful garden um, just opened a couple of months ago. And we're, we're really excited about, we're really excited about it. That's really cool too. And Feeding Tampa Bay, of course, supports that initiative. We are, we're wonderful partners with TGH. In fact, that's how we met. Um, but, you know, you mentioned um, eating healthy and I wanted to kind of dive in a little bit. And I did ask our, you mentioned nutrition education, which that's partnered with our team as well um, at you guys initiative. Um, I wanted to talk about some key um, topics that our nutrition education team um, addresses. We have them throughout our counties that folks can go to. Uh, and again, we'll put that link in there if you're interested in nutrition education classes um, in our information for the podcast. Um, but it's really about eating healthy for you. It's about being an individual. Um, so I'm going to read these questions off. They're from Sam on our team who leads our nutrition education team. She directs everybody. She's um, a dietitian, um, and this is really her life's work. So it is not how I would normally read something or say something, but I'm going to go with Sam's wave so you can teach all of us what the heck she's talking about, even though a little bit that I know. So what would you say are the most profound consequences of people experiencing weight bias, whether in the medical field or in the communities they interact every day? So first tell me weight bias. What does she mean by weight bias? So weight bias means um, basically the social and the consequences related to being overweight and what society and maybe even people in the medical field or doctors um, say, say something to you about your weight. So um, research actually shows that um, unfortunately, patients that are overweight or have difficulty with losing weight are less likely to seek medical care. And um, the way that we are trained in medical school, there's not that much training on um, approaching these type of patients. So sometimes if you're not using the right vocabulary or terms like morbid obesity, that are medical terms that we've learned in science through textbooks, um, can be a very bad approach for somebody that is overweight and is vulnerable and insecure. And so as an integrated practitioner and a primary care um just a medical provider in general, you need to be very careful about the terms that you use, the approach that you take, the vocabulary, 
because the last thing that I would want to do or any provider is say something or make something someone feel more uncomfortable about their weight that they just never seek care anymore. And then that will lead to them, their obesity potentially getting worse and then developing more chronic conditions from it. And so a lot of people do experience, you know, shame and anxiety and insecurities about their weight. And it has to do with weight bias and, you know, the, the image that society and the medical profession puts out there. And sometimes it's on the patient. Sometimes there's, you know, obesity is a very complex disease. And so there's a lot um, that goes into it than just someone being overweight and them eating too much or not exercising enough. Right. And it's kind of almost uh, changing the thought processes socially. Right. So we're talking right now, we're talking about overweight, but there are also people that are um, too thin, you know, and that's just the way that they're built. Right. So it's, it's really kind of shaming that person based on what their size is. um, Mm -hmm. That might be just part of the way their body is works. Correct. Definitely. There's um, genetics components to it. There's um, metabolism in this. You can, you can even look at Ayurvedic medicine and traditional Chinese medicine looks at different biopsychotypes and people have different mind body constitutions. And so some people tend to, you know, have faster metabolism and that's just how they are. And they have to really eat more to keep their weight up and others, you know, they eat one fry and they gain five pounds. So there's a lot of influence with, you know, um, your weight is, it's just so complex, but there's a lot of influence with genetics, epigenetics, which is what you do with your lifestyle choices and your environment and how they affect your genes by turning them on and off, on or off, um, your environment, um, what you have access to, right? Where you live, your zip code and what you have access to and the cost of food. And so there's a lot that goes, uh, goes along with, um, your, your weight than just what you, you know, calories in and calories out. Right. Mm-hmm. So, calories in and calories out does that lean into so this is this is what i'm understanding from sam samantha who provided Mm -hmm. us with these questions does that have to do with energy balance yes yeah and predictive measures like how many calories you take in and mm -hmm. i think your approach from integrative medicine is it's all it becomes all very personal you treat every single person but is that's really not the standard across the board or is it from a medical perspective you know from a medical perspective when someone's coming in that is you know overweight we most people will discuss their you know diet and exercise but it's um a little bit of a superficial conversation and not because the provider doesn't want to go in deep, but one of two things, one, the training and nutrition and really diving deep is really limited in med school, which is, you know, surprising. The second thing is the time constraints for a typical provider to spend um, with the patient. And so when they're discussing, you know, eight or 10 different diseases and their medications and their labs, um, they might not have much time to really go into the details of their diet and exercise, which is unfortunate because a lot could be changed just from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the energy in and energy out um, equations are typical, you know, um, 
methods that might work for some people in terms of, you know, how many calories are you taking in and how much do you exercise and how much that, you know, theoretically should lead to a net weight loss if you do the calculations, right. But there's so much more that's involved, you know, stress is a huge, huge factor. Um, and stress affects so many different things, but it increases your cortisol and it can lead to insulin resistance and it can lead to your norepinephrine and epinephrine and these neurotransmitters being elevated, leading to high blood pressure. And so a lot of these things that, um, our influences from our society and life and, you know, life in general, um, can be difficult as, you know, direct impacts on your weight and stress can also affect your sleep. And so if you don't look at, you know, the stressors and your sleep and your gut health, how you're absorbing your nutrients, how you're processing things, um, those are all important factors when it, when it comes to finding out, you know, how much weight you can lose in, in your weight in general. So that's why the these energy in energy out equations don't work for everyone. Um, there are, you know, programs out there that people use like my fitness pal and, and weight watchers. And, um, I have nothing against them. And I think for some people, it works really well for people that like to log in what they're eating and need to keep track. And, um, it gives them a little bit of control. I, I know a lot of patients that have had success with weight watchers because you get a certain number of points a day and you get to use points the way that you want to. And so if you want to have a cookie or if you, you know, you can use it the way, so it gives you a little sense of control. And for some people it works really well. So, um, I have nothing against them. I just think for the average person, it might work, but for, it doesn't work universally for everyone. You know, we're all right. different genetic makeups. There's a lot more, um, factors that are involved like epigenetics and your, physical activity and sleep and toxins. And there's two different hormones um, that are satiety hormones, leptin and ghrelin. And there's signals in your brain that let you know if you're full. And some people have elevated leptin levels and they this the body doesn't signal themselves that they're full yet until later. And so there's so many other, and that's just something that um, I've seen in practice when you meet someone that is overweight and their whole family's been overweight, their parents, their grandparents, their children, and you're really looking at their diet and exercise and it doesn't really match. And so there's other, those are the, some of the other factors that are involved. Also, you know, my experience too, and it's also where I am in my life, but speaking of hormonal right? Yeah. Take uh, young men. And I don't know if um, Ev can chime in on this, but I can chime in from my kids. As you grow, your body changes so much. So my youngest child was tiny, like way below um, where he was supposed to be as an infant. And then all of a sudden he got to five years old and he got very large and he struggled with that until he turned 18. And then at 18, it was so interesting to me. It's almost like it was a natural slimming. And now he is slim. And of course that, you know, he works out now and he does all of these things, but he worked out before. So, and I've saw that in two of my sons actually. So it's kind of interesting how hormones um, also play into um, where you may be in your, your weight journey through your life. Right. And then you go to me, who's 56, who's hitting menopause where everything's kind of slowing down, right. A little bit. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just, you know, I'm just supporting the thought that it's very individual. Um, it, 
And okay. you have to just look at everything because there was really nothing, you know, you talk about meeting with doctors and I, I know this is a more of a rare occasion um, than a common, but when my son was 10 years old, a pediatrician actually told him horrible thing that he was obese, that he needed to stop, you know, eating certain things or whatever, which he really wasn't even doing. And that he has never left him. You know, it's so important, I think, that we, and this is why I love our nutrition education team, and we have a few more questions for Samantha, but I, it's so important to educate folks that we're all on our own journey. Mm-hmm. You know, so somebody, one of, somebody that is your patient that might be a little bit uh, larger of stature, maybe incredibly healthy, like you talked about your patient, that all of her numbers, mm-hmm. you know, were where they needed to be. Mm-hmm. Um you know, so it's just kind of thinking about that. And we always lend to the the heavy, but there's also, you know, those things that eat a cheeseburger. That's really not kind, <laughs> you know, because like you said that, you know, we talk about the hormones. Um, it's something they can't help. They're doing their best at what they're doing. Correct. Absolutely. And even within one household, um, sometimes you see differences and it becomes tricky because I'm thinking of this one um, family that I that I take care of and the husband, you know, does well with a very low carb diet, but the, you know, wife and he loses a lot of weight, but the wife doesn't, you know, lose a pound and they were always struggling about how to eat at home. And so there's so many different type of fad diets out there with, you know, the Atkins and intermittent fasting and paleo and um, plant-based and there's just, there's tons out there, but at the end of the day, you need to find something that is realistic for you and mm-hmm. mostly, mostly plants. And that research shows time and time again, eating, you know, variety of different colored fruits and vegetables. That's healthy. That's your, your, your best bet. Um, but some people might need a little bit of, you know, fish, some people might need a little bit of chicken or that might be important to them. And so there's so many aspects to food and your, and even the cultural aspects. I'm, I would never tell, you know, someone that is Indian descent or Asian descent not to eat rice or roti or those type of things. Cause that that's not realistic. Right. And that, happen and so um and there's a comfort part of food you want to enjoy food it, it yes. gives a sense of you know gives you comfort it reminds you of your childhood or home and so all of these wonderful things in community and so it should be something pleasurable and should be something you enjoy and so finding what works for you that's also um you know healthy and good for your body is is individualized and so right um, the issue with our with our food in our nation is that it's just over the years the amount of sugar in food has really skyrocketed and the amount of fiber has really decreased and we're a nation that is really about um, convenience and so processed foods and meals on the go and all of that has really um, it's a problem and it's become an issue even simple things like at the airport it's really limited of what you know you can find um, and what you're surrounded by and when you're stressed and you don't have time and you're on the go that's what's around you and that's what's available and um, it's a big problem. And, you know, I think people are becoming more and more conscious about what they eat and more and more into optimal health and wellness and taking care of themselves. But, um, society hasn't caught up yet and it's still 
pretty challenging to consistently eat healthy, especially if you're traveling it on the go and you want convenience. Um, I put a lot of effort into meal prep and the weeks that I'm busy or, you know, I, I can't do as much and I rely on eating out or have to eat out. Um, you know, I feel limited. I don't sleep as well. I can know exactly when I'm dropping off the wagon because all of a sudden I'm up at three in the morning, which then causes you to think, which then goes into stress. So I know when I seriously fall off the wagon, if you eat instead of a handful of pasta, I eat a whole bowl full. You know, I personally, I'm about portion control. So I know I feel differently and you're right. Like if you're doing the right things for your body, you definitely feel different. Like if you hang out with Ev too much, you're going to eat a lot of pizza. Yeah, <laughs> there's pizza in my fridge right now from last night. But I just, <laughs> hey, it's just it's just a chicken and spinach though, so that's you know that's healthy, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Ev's <laughs> favorite food too, pizza. I mean, pizza is one of the best foods in the world, but yeah. oh, it really is. And he has the he knows where all the good pizza places are, so you know. But it's good for him because he's he's in wonderful health and does really really well right where he's at. Which leads me into this question. Is weight loss or a necessary size necessary for a healthy life? So it, you know, depends on where you are on the scale of, of your weight. And one thing that we do know is having central obesity. So kind of a lot of weight around the middle portion around your vital organs, that is more detrimental to your health than having weight that's kind of more evenly distributed, even if you are heavier set. And so um, if you do have central obesity, that would be something that, you know, you should work on. Um, but if it's evenly distributed and your heart health is good and you're exercising and your labs look good, then, um, you know, it might not be a big of an issue. Um, but yeah, okay. and we can think of that from the thin aspect as well. Like I want to be thin. fair to those that are really, really thin and have people who have a hard time all the time. Yeah. yeah. And um, I'm glad that you kind of the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that you are bringing that up because we do overlook that because obesity is such a, you know, problematic issue. But yeah, the same thing for thin, you can be thin and your labs look normal and you feel good and you're sleeping well and eating well and you're pooping right. And um, it's not causing any issues. So there's no need to, you know, put that weight on just, just to be a healthy weight from what, you know, we have by definition of BMI or society. So, you know, we talk about, I, I call it size shaming, but really our, our, our term at Feeding Tampa Bay is, is food trauma. Um, how do you think, you know, at Feeding Tampa Bay, we're providing, you know, we're moving into a world where it's more fresh, much like the community garden. You know, we were doing a tour. We have this wonderful new facility that has right of refrigeration and freezers the size of football fields so we don't ever have to say no to a farmer's produce or maybe a rancher's you know protein or even other options like you know impossible stuff that we get donated or tofu all of those kind of things you know that that we have available to us um you know we're moving in that direction but how do you feel a food trauma affects people and how can we be change makers in our society for that? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the food trauma can lead to a lot of um, body dysmorphic issues and insecurities. Um, mm -hmm. 
and anxiety and depression. And so I think it can cause a lot of mental health issues. And with food, it's something that you can't ignore. You know, it's a part of every day, you know, multiple times in the day. Um, a lot of whether you're at work, you're going to have um, social problems that are going to involve food. When you come home, you're going to have food involved with all of, with your family members. And so you have some type of incident that caused a lot of food trauma leading to, you know, anxiety and depression, you're going to feel isolated and uncomfortable around food. It's going to change your relationship with food and your body and your image. And that's the last thing that, you know, it, that's the last thing that food is supposed to mean. It's supposed to encourage you. It's supposed to give you pleasure and it's supposed to bring a sense of community. And so I feel like with food, it could be very isolating and it could be really hard on your mental health. And then it could lead to, um, anorexia and food disorders. And, you know, it could lead to a lot of different issues in terms of bodies, of dysmorphia, mental health, and then having um, food disorders and eating disorders. So how can we help create that change? You know, that um, how do you encourage, how would you encourage folks to be the change for that person that may be too heavy or too thin? How can we just create a movement that just people aren't shamed like this anymore. I know it's a, it's a, it's a really hard um, subject and topic, especially now that I have a daughter and just thinking about, you know, the bodily changes women go through and, and um, you know, being and bullying in school and all those things. I think um, it should, you know, it should start at home. And I think it should start from good examples from, you know, the family. And I think when you do start see seeing a pediatrician or a physician having that um, somebody that with a gentle approach, that's going to be careful with terminology. And especially in those really first years where you're really, you know, getting on the scale and you're noticing and the impression, I, I remember, you know, going to my first pedi pediatrician appointment and getting on the scale and looking and starting to, you know, um, soak in all those numbers and, and think about them. And so I think those years when you're in adolescence and paying more attention, that is probably, you know, very important. And so, it should start at home. It should start at the pediatrician office and then at school um, and with approaches of specific language and being gentle. And I think in terms of society and social media and what's on there, that's going to be probably more challenging to, to change and, and fix. But um, it's also another way that we could spread the word and yeah. change. Yeah. Or have podcasts like today. <laughs> I love that you mentioned pediatrician. Um, you know, it's just so important who you choose for your family. That's the journey of your child. I was really fortunate growing up. Um, he was a famous pediatrician in Tampa. You know, everybody went to him. Um, and he his approach, um, just this wonderful culturally, he was Italian. So everything was beautiful to him. So you always walked away um, feeling good about yourself, no matter kind of where you were, or if you were pro um, very old school. Uh, but I, I, I think people really need to hear that's a very important choice you need to make is that pediatrician. Um, and if you're not happy with it, um, find a new one, 
because I experienced that myself. So I really sought somebody else who could kind of maybe deconstruct that damage that happened in that visit and that approach um, and keep your eyes and ears open or seek out an integrative medicine doctor. Yes, absolutely. So how do folks do that? Is that like we, I met you through the podcast, you know, if, and I know you're very busy um, and you have a crazy schedule. So folks can try to reach out and get in your schedule, but there are other doctors that uh, have a similar approach. What do you search for in trying to find that doctor? So you can, um, you know, you can go online and look at American Board of Integrative Medicine. There's a physician lookup and oh. you able to um, search by state. And so that's one way. Um, functional medicine is also a um, different type of approach that overlaps with integrative medicine and looking at the whole, um, the whole person and picture. And so, and it uses, you know, a non-pharmaceutical or approach initially. Um, so they, there's American board of functional medicine and you could look things up. And, um, I think it's important to be your own advocate. Like you said, if you don't like a, your pediatrician, you know, find a new one and our medical system here, you know, isn't perfect. I mean, I feel like we, we, um, you know, there, there are positives. I have family in Canada and I've compared and I've had sick, sick family members in Canada and, um, it's very slow and it was frustrating for me to watch my uncle get his care there and he had um, cancer. And so we do have things that I'm proud of about in the medical field here, but the system isn't, is, is broken and there's areas that we need to improve. And I think it's important to be your own advocate. And if you're not how happy with your physician's approach, um, no hard feelings. You need to find somebody that you have a good connection with and seek someone else and go by reviews and, you know, references and word of mouth. But um, if you're looking for someone specifically with integrative or functional medicine, you can look them up. That, that I think it's amazing. And, and, you know, responding to everything that you just said, we just continue to do better. You know, um, with our work at Feeding Tampa Bay, we have like Tampa General Hospital that's amazing partners that really want to um, make sure people are eating healthy to keep them out of going to the hospital or to the clinics. You know, those are necessary things and we need to, you need to be checked out every year and do all of those things. But there's so many approaches um, that I really think the medical field is starting to look at, which I find so hopeful. So just like in anything, even in our work, you learn and you keep striving to be better. And I really feel hopeful, hopeful about um, how our medical um, organizations throughout the Tampa Bay area are starting to approach better health. Oh, absolutely. I'm really um, proud of TGH for having an integrative medicine program in the inpatient. There's not that many hospitals in the area that do. And so we have a program that I lead there and provide bedside care to patients. These are, you know, the sickest patients in the area have gone through trauma and accidents and, you know, abuse and um, really sick ill patients that we come and we provide integrative um, modalities from mindfulness practices and breath work, coping strategies, music therapy, massage, aromatherapy, 
And we sit with patients and their family at the bedside and TGH has been supporting this program and it's a free, no charge. It's free for patients. And so they um, definitely are big supports and believe in it. And I hope with myself and all the other integrative physicians that are, have been trained, um, we want to change medicine. We want this to be a part of mainstream medicine and intertwined and a part of the culture um, and lifestyle medicine physicians. That's another big organization, the American Academy of Lifestyle Medicine. You can also look those practitioners up um, and they, you know, believe in the, the six pillars of optimal health and wellness. And um, a lot of the same things that we were talking about, about, about the mind, body and spirit and sleep and nutrition and exercise. And so these are all of the um, things that you can do on a day-to-day basis that can help prevent a lot of diseases and help keep you well. And so this should be a part of mainstream medicine should be the first thing that you see. And so it's starting to slowly, but surely, and I'm proud of TGH and to be a part of that organization um, that believes in it. And that's offering this to patients for free. I I think that's amazing too. Um, I do know you also have um, your own program um, that you're launching. That's both in person and digital that folks can attend. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Yes. Are you referring to the, our MBSR program? Then mindful. Yes. So I am. Yes. Awesome. So this is a um, eight week um, program called MBSR. It was started by John Kabat-Zinn and it is kind of the gold standard meditation program that's out there. It has the, a lot of research to support its benefit um, for chronic diseases, pain, anxiety. And so we've been offering this initially, we just offered it to our TGH um, team members, but now we offering it to the community and it started last year and it goes over eight weeks. You meet once a week with an MBSR certified teacher in a small group setting. We do have a virtual option and an in-person, but I encourage the in-person if you mm-hmm. uh, are able to do that, because I think you just get more out of it. But the class is about two, two and a half hours. You go through different meditations, body scans, some gentle yoga, and you learn a lot about how to meditate, stress reduction techniques, the stress response. Um, And each week you build on things a little bit and you have a little bit of homework each night and have access to different recordings. At the end, there's an all day silent retreat, which makes a lot of people nervous to kind of sit for an entire day. I mean, there's activities that we do, but in silence and over the eight weeks, you just learn a lot about emotional intelligence, um, your stress response, how to act during um, when you feel your stress rising, mindfulness practices. And these are tools that, you know, you can take with you forever. And um, I did the program. I absolutely loved it. And I've been exposed to meditation from, you know, the ashram since I was a little kid. But what I loved um, most was that I was sprinkling it in my day a little bit more. And that was really nice because previously I was, you know, I had a dedicated time for my meditation and I would do in the morning and night. And so after this program really helped me to just sprinkle moments in during the day. So when I was washing hands between patients or walking down the hall or mindfully chewing, taking those 20 bites or 
literally brief moments, 20 seconds here or a minute or two here. Um, that was really nice. And then ultimately you're trying to be mindful and present in every moment. And so that was really nice for me to build on and see and enjoy. So if anyone's interested, we're actually, um, the next um, class starts next week as orientation, but um, you can get more information if you visit TGH and Integrative Medicine and MBSR, and I can share the link with you, Shannon, um, but it's a Perfect. fantastic program that will offer at least a couple times a year, um, and you'll gain a lot, and um, I highly encourage it for anyone experiencing any stress, but that's everyone, so I highly encourage it for everyone. Right, right. Yeah. And, and you talk about meditation, and so I'm actually... I, I can't join this one because I don't know if we have a building opening that's going to be uh, kind of changing everything in Tampa Bay uh, during this um, cohort that you have going on, but I am, it's on my books to join you. And um, I'm really looking forward to it because for me, I can be scatterbrained and I make jokes about it being squirrely. I need to learn how to bring myself. And I'm really excited about attending. Yes, I think you'll enjoy. And that's not uncommon, Shannon. We're all scatterbrainy and monkey. We all have monkey mind and wake up and, you know, spiral. All of these things are so common to our, to, to us and our society where we're constantly being stimulated. And so it's, it's normal and to learn practices to help bring that is, it's huge and you'll, you'll enjoy it. Well, and then I, I know you were talking about your grandfather and how, um, his meditation has been such a big part of his life. And, you know, he has wonderful longevity and he's surrounded by an amazing family. Um, so I just think it'll bring benefits to, you know, for me, I'm doing it. And I think it's important for others too. And I, I just love the fact that you talked about is going through your day. I need to find those times, right. To kind of recenter and take a breath and, you say chew your food 20 times, just chew your food in general, <laughs> you know, just so you food in a minute. Um, I like using the car as a mindful time and a mindful moment. And so we're always, you know, most people are in their car at least once or twice a day. So using the red light or when you're driving, you know, to do a couple of deep breathing, that's an easy way that you can definitely fit it in. I love that. And I do that. You, you have told me to do that. So often I run, I run my, I'll drive in complete silence and it's just, so you taught me that you also taught me to find an outlet. So in our conversation that you had, because you were learning about me, that I had been an artist over the years. So now I have a whole drafting table awesome. um, and I, I take that time to center myself. So there's just so many things that wrap around better health, yes. who we are as individuals. We each have our own journey, our health journey, um, whether that be physical, mental, you know, or all of it intertwined, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we thank you for your time with us. We're so excited. We want to share with all our listeners out there. And soon, once again, Ev, we'll have that new production studio. And Dr. Sharma is going to be one of the first ones in that production production studio because you're going to come back and talk to us a few times a year and talk about what the, the things are going on in medicine and what's available to folks. And really, let's change that food trauma. Yes, out in our society, one listener or viewer at a time. So we always close the show with a general question because we know that everything really good happens around a table, whether you're with family or with your individuals. So if you were to build in this moment, 
-hmm. And it can be somebody who's with us now or somebody who's passed on. It can be, we've had rock stars. We've had all kinds of things uh, where people bring to the table. But if you were adding three people to the table, Mm -hmm. who would be your guests? It's a tricky question. It's a hard question. Um, I think uh, Jay Shetty, he's a, are you guys familiar with him? Oh, yes. Yeah. So he is um, born in the UK and right now he's a motivational speaker and he has a podcast, but he actually spent some time as a monk and Mm -hmm. um, he um, is just an interesting person and I think very relatable because he's um, younger and grew up in a, you know, Western type of society and then, you know, was kind of enlightened or awakened and became a monk and then came back. And so I think his, um, conversations and his podcasts and his advice are really easy to follow and relatable. And he's just an interesting person. So, um, he'd be awesome to have at the dinner table and, um, Andrew Weil. I love Andrew Weil. So he's a Grove Integrative Medicine. He's the physician that started the Andrew Weil Integrative Medicine Fellowship um, uh, that I did. And so to have him at the at the dinner table, um, just how he, uh, his whole story and how he got into integrative medicine and, and left conventional medicine and brought the two worlds and started this whole um, fellowship and trained, you know, now thousands of physicians. Um, he'd be awesome at the table. And then... Maybe the Dalai Lama to have his, yeah, his um, mindfulness and meditation and monk-like experience. You'd probably spend some time mindfully eating and mindfully chewing. Um, but I think and sharing would- amazing stories. He probably has so many amazing life stories and um, yeah. things that he could share. I mean, it sounds like such a soothing kind of enlightening learning experience around your table. Doesn't it Ev? like, I would be down to pull up a chair. We also have, I think we'd have to add an extra chair um, for Jay Shetty's wife. Do you ever follow her on social as well? Yeah. I think that's a pair. We may have to grow this table a little bit because what she brings to their conversation is brilliant. Is brilliant. And she is um, a plant-based kind of chef. And so I feel like that would be nice to have her definitely she she'll add more of the food and nutrition part in our conversation so i i think this leads into the next question which i think is perfect what would you have around the table and who would be cooking it oh wow um maybe roddy (laughs) some plant-based chef would be awesome i um i love mediterranean food um so much i love olives and I love the Mediterranean diet and nuts and lentils and legumes and red wine and all of that and olive oil. Actually, all the things. Olive oil. Um, so probably m- some type of Mediterranean food. Well, and then I hope your mom joins at the table too. Yes, definitely. <laughs> right. She'll help prepare the meal because she sounds like an amazing, amazing cook. Um, well, thank you, Dr. Sharma. Go ahead. Sure. I was just going to say one thing that she always shared with me, and this is something that um, we do in the ashrams too. Whenever she's preparing a meal, she always, um, she makes sure that she's in a good mood. She is singing or she's smiling or she's praying um, or playing um, a um, 
a hymn or a song or some type of spiritual music in the background. In my house growing up, I'm one of five, we were a loud house. So walking in, there was always phones ringing or music playing. And so the kitchen was always loud. So there's always music playing. And so that's something that she taught me. She's like, make sure that you're in a good mood, um, you know, mentally, spiritually, physically have music playing. It doesn't have to be religious if you don't want it to. That's her, you know, her preference. Um, but that really goes, you know, that feeling and that all of that vibration of energy goes into the food, food. And I think that's one of the reasons why her food was so well-liked and so delicious. I am adding that to uh, my lessons from you. I'm going to start doing that as well. I'm trying to think. I'm not intentional about it. I think I enjoy cooking. Yeah. Right. So I think I'm in a good place, but the intention behind it um, really seems very special. I love that. It, it is special. And in one thing I learned in um, when I was really diving deep into meditation and mindfulness uh, that was so surprising to me was even if you are doing a task that's not so enjoyable or fun, um, being present and really putting yourself into that present moment while you're doing the task, you'll feel happier than not being present in that moment, which I was like, wow. And so for example, taking out the garbage, if I'm really like mindful, like I'm holding this, I'm, this is my garbage and I'm in the moment and really I'll be more happier than if I was just dragging out and thinking about something else and washing the dishes, for example. So things and tasks that you may not particularly enjoy, if you're just present in the moment and take that in, it actually brings you more happiness than if you weren't present. And so that was really eye-opening for me when I read that um, and learned about that. It's interesting. I love it. Well, more for me to, to put into practice, my friend. Um, Dr. Sharma, thank you so much for joining us. I know all the listeners are going to look forward to hearing you again, join the show in this summer. Um, I just think you bring... Uh, so much light to everything that you do and your approach to each individual who crosses your path. And I think that is like the most impressive thing to me. You've changed my life. I thank you. Um, And we'll see you in the summer. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you again for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. You can learn more about Feeding Tampa Bay and how to join the movement at feedingtampabay.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, and TikTok at Feeding Tampa Bay.